practical Kenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. This is The Art Show on KCLR with Unini Wildenig. It is The Art Show and you are very, very welcome along. Coming up on this evening's show, we'll be catching up with the visual artist we profiled a few weeks ago, the sculptor Robert Dunn. We'll also be meeting some of the members of the very talented local band, the brilliant Burn Church, and we'll treat ourselves to a listen to their new song, Feeling. And we're going to take a look at what's coming up of interest over the coming week in Carlo and Kilkenny. And let me tell you this, there is lots and lots happening all over Carlo and Kilkenny this bank holiday weekend but back to this evening we're going to kick things off with our artist in profile segment this evening we hear from Kilkenny born composer Neil Quigley but Neil is currently based in Glasgow and he tells us here how where he lives now influences his work the most rewarding part of being a composer and he offers advice to aspiring artists so enjoy this Uh, my name is Neil Quigley uh, I'm a composer and artist. I'm from um, Kilkenny City um, by Kenny's Well, so Emmett Street. I live in Glasgow at the moment. Well, I live in Glasgow between here and Glasgow and Kilkenny. Um, but the public transport here is quite good, um, even though Glaswegians wouldn't really agree with me on that. Um, but you can be in, like, Loch Lomond in 20 minutes or so. So the idea of rural and urban is sort of difficult to really assess, you know, uh, in that respect, but when I used to live in Chicago, it was quite urban. I suppose like it it does have an influence on me in some way, but I'm not super conscious of it in in any way. Earlier this year, I did a multi-channel like 41 speaker piece for um, the sound speaker setup in Belfast and Queen's University. So that was sort of like you know a key point in my career. So this year, about March, I was working on a piece for a multi-channel speaker system up in Queen uh, University up in Belfast. And then once that was done, I was on to thinking about this little US tour that we did as part of um, the band that I'm in called Physique, with, uh, an American composer, Sam Scranton. And then once that was over, I was on to this uh, new um, CD release that uh, I released on the 6th of October called Kilkenny Electroacoustic. Research Laboratory Anthology Volume 2, which is sort of this um, fictional composer group from the 60s till the 80s that were based in Kilkenny, but it's all fictitious and, and written by me in this parallel version of Kilkenny. Feeling you've done a good job is it's the most rewarding, as simple as it sounds, but it sort of took me a long time to realise that uh, feeling like you've done a good job with what you wanted to do, and that sort of represents your you in some way um i think that's the main thing and yeah it took a while for me to realize that part of that was just spending time and putting effort into something it's it's pretty much as simple as that i'd suggest surrounding yourself with other artists and and just people who you trust both like artistically and on a personal level and then maybe rely on each other and create a community and sort of you don't, don't never feel the need to go into a pre-established organization or, you know, it's fine looking up to people, but it does not to be a, all and end all. I wish the house prices and rent prices were lower um, and, like, better regulated, like housing market or whatever. Because, like, the level of really high-quality artists leaving Ireland at the moment is sort of crazy. It's, it's 
it's really awful. And like the amount of Irish people here in Glasgow or in London or Manchester or Germany or Portugal or the US or whatever, it's, it's, I mean, there's still good artists left in Ireland, but like a lot of them have, have left because of uh, economic. Uh, you can look for my work. Uh, the record label is Mune. M-I-U-F-A-D-A-I-N and you can just Google it and then my website which links to all of that stuff is just quigley.life The Art Show on KCLR with Una Niefeldeinig with thanks to Kenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland now, our next guests, Byrne Church, are very familiar to many listeners, I'm sure. They're a four-piece group made up of two brothers and two sisters, Sive, Shifra, Aina and Rory. And the boys, Aina and Rory, join us in studio this evening. How are you doing, lads? Great, Aina. Thanks for having us on. Well, thank you for coming in. We're always excited to see you coming in. It's always a great pleasure. And the reason you're in this evening is because you've got a gig coming up. So who'd like to tell me about that? Aina speaking here. We're playing in Clears on the 29th of October, which is next Sunday, two nights before Halloween. And we can't Wade, we're working hard to get our to get our songs in order, and we're gonna sing a load of songs off the album that we're working on. And we have twenty basically solidly finished songs off an album, and we're gonna sing them all in ears, and we're gonna see how they go live. Well, that sounds amazing, and it's interesting that you said, Anna, that you're working hard prepping because you've done a lot of gigs at this stage, Rory, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we definitely started out as like a chad band, you know, as kids, and. You know, the music kind of evolved since then. We used to play instruments like the piano, flute, violin, fiddle for the four of us. Uh, I'd be on the pipes mostly. Uh, Anne would be on the piano, Sai would be on the violin, and Sheila would be on the flute. Uh, but then COVID hit, obviously, and we started writing songs. And uh, with that, you know, new new instruments came along, and I got the double bass, and that obviously became the bass guitar. Anna, you know, kept on playing the piano, and... We became the band we are today then. Yeah. Now, you say that as if it's the most natural thing in the world. On came the double bass. I mean, that's a pretty big instrument to get your, your head around or to lug around. So that was quite a change, I would say, Rory, no? Yeah, uh, it was a bit of a nightmare now to carry around and blink to gigs for a while. So that's why we had to get the bass guitar because it was so much easier to just plug in and could just play away then. But it adds a lovely sound, doesn't it? We're going to play one of your tracks later on. But as I said, I've been following you around, Kilkenny, for quite a while now. And I do think that this latest song that you have, Feeling, there's a little bit of a change in the sound, would you say? There's definitely a change in the sound. When you hear the song, you can it'll, it'll be easy enough to distinguish the Ellen Pipes. The Ellen Pipes run through the whole song. And there's elements kind of like blues, jazz, and even dance music, modern dance music. And I'm not talking about Irish traditional dance music, even though that's in it. But there is a very modern feel to the music, I, f- I think, now. And that's the stuff we've been working on more recently. And we've kept to our roots of Irish music as well. And was it a conscious shift, though, in tone? Or was it just a natural gathering of the different elements that you mentioned there? It definitely happened over time more than... It didn't happen overnight where we were singing pop songs and putting together modern music. It happened way over time. We've been playing for years now. It's funny to say it, but we actually have. You have indeed. And because I know you used to busk, didn't you, when you were quite young kids outside the castle. So it's been a long time that you've been kind of working out the sound that you like and what I wonder with regard to that is is it difficult for you all to be on the same page because there were four of you and four very strong voices and you're you're all very talented so like are you all moving in the same direction or is, is that kind of a, a compromise that has to occur sometimes? It is a compromise yeah we come, when we come together you get the kind of fusion of our influences see we all like different music and listening to different music like if I was to name off, Sive loves Taylor Swift. 
she loves us and she said as I was my sister in the band and Shifra she kind of likes the Beatles and you oh, know wow. like there's such a dynamic shift there That's it. what about you Rory oh there's so many bands I definitely like the Script who were at Electric Picnic and they're just fantastic to watch so and you you performed at Electric Picnic as well didn't you that was yeah that was some night we got to see the Script and perform on the same night fantastic I mean that's an amazing opportunity for a group that is although you've been performing for quite a long time you're still very young and you've already done Electric Picnic's been, been crossed off you mentioned therein about the different tastes that you have now what I really want to know and I'm sure the listeners this evening are, are interested in knowing is how do you work so closely with your family because that's got to be challenging well we definitely have our moments like do you have sisters and I brothers? have many sisters. Yeah, I'm sure you've had your fights with them. Like. We, we certainly have. Ask your mother. She could attest to many of them. I can tell you that. <laughs> but I mean, it's very natural, isn't it, that a it family is, you're yeah. going to... I think what helps us really work together is pressure. Like, as funny as it's to say, when we're under pressure, we work better together. Do we you? only had 24 hours to put together the music for Katie Taylor's Ringwalk or Walkout Tune. And I think that was the best ty- the best music we ever put together. Well, some of it anyway. I don't know. It sounded phenomenal, let, let us say. I'm just reminding listeners here that you had your cousin Shabelle was singing uh, Katie's Walkout song and she asked you to just... As you do, just put a piece of music together, produce it, the whole, you did everything. Exactly. Like you got all that track down in 24 hours. That is just amazing. Yeah. How did your technical expertise come about? Because I know, you know, you do quite a lot of production um, for the music that you produce as well. So, I mean, that's a skill in itself, isn't it? Quite apart from the the, the music and the singing. So how did you get that skill? It's definitely, um, it's definitely evolved over time. It's like you said, it's a skill that has to be developed. And I don't think technical expertise is, well, I suppose maybe you could call it that. But um, when I started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. It was like looking at a computer and a load of buttons. And now I come in, I kind of know what to do. I seem to know how to produce and we work well together. It's a studio at home. So it's all my dad's. Yes, kind of we old have to gear. we have to mention your dad and the old gear because um, your dad and I don't know how many of his siblings, uh, six of them. No. Four, I'd say. Four siblings. Four. So there were five in total. They were part of the, I'm going to mispronounce this because I always do the, the Cossidy. Did I get Perfectly that right? Well, I won't go again. <laughs> but they would have been incredibly well known in traditional musical circles. And my question to you both is, what influence did that family heritage, that legacy have on you as children? And how has that changed over time? That's a very loaded question, Rory, isn't it? Or, you know, whoever wants uh, to I'll take in this there. one. Um, it really, well, see, we were going to gigs. We were going to their concerts from from the time we were children. And that caused us to be playing their instruments. Like they were playing the fiddles and the pipes and we play the fiddles and the pipes. And although it's so so similar, you can hear the tradition in it. You can also hear our differences now. Like when you hear feeling in it, you'll hear all the all the influences that we have that comes from outside the custody. It comes from popular music. It comes from jazz and even dance music, like I mentioned. And what I thought was really interesting as well, you were telling me before we came on air that I think almost every one of your dad's siblings, their children are also performing together. Isn't that amazing? It's probably not amazing to you. It's perfectly natural. But to to somebody outside of the musical world, that is really quite phenomenal. It is, yeah. You don't see like you don't see as many bands, I'd say, as you used to. Um, people are quite surprised when they find out I'm a band sometimes because um, it's probably not the most usual thing to do. Like everyone plays hurling, everyone plays soccer mostly. Rory does anyway, but not everyone plays music in a band, so it's it's a bit different. So that's 
why when they hear, oh God, your cousins are also in a band, that's hilarious like to them, most people. I have to ask you as well, because I know your late grandmother, you, I don't know who wrote the song, I think it might have been you, Anna, was it, who wrote the tribute to your granny? It was me and Shifra, we wrote it together. You wrote it together, it was absolutely beautiful, and just to tell our listeners, if you haven't seen it, go on to uh, the Burn Church YouTube channel and you can access this. What's it called actually? Burn Church. But what's the the song for your granny? The song is called George A. It's absolutely beautiful, and it was it was filmed in your various houses. I think over COVID because you were you it were was, separate. Yeah. We were really, we were we had nothing better to do to be honest at the time than write music and write songs. And we wrote this song for our granny, and we got our cousins to sing along on the choruses. So what they did was they got their phones and they recorded all their vocals over there. And I brought it into our little studio at home, and you can hear all the cousins on the song just from phone recordings. And it's, it sounds amazing. And you know what you can also see from the video? You can just see the love that you had for her. The amazing, like the little clips that you have of each of you as small children with her. It just, it was so beautiful. I watched it. I don't know how many times. It's gorgeous. I recommend to everyone to go and check it out. Not just for that song, by the way, but for very many other ones that are on it that are just amazing. Um, I want to ask you again about your album that's coming out. So this has been a while in the in the works, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, we've been working on the album for a few years now, maybe uh, just writing songs and everything like that. Uh, so We're it's coming along really well. right now of choosing what are the best songs to put on to the put album. On it, okay, because I'm not sure. I don't think a 25 song album would be the right call. Let's say we need to cut it down to 13 or 14, maybe. I'd be happy with a 25. Would you? I, I couldn't chase that, no problem. You know, when you go out and you're performing, see at Youthfest or the very many things that you perform at, can you gauge which songs are going down well with the audience? Definitely. Do you have a good sense of that? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, it's and does that by, send you, you in a different direction? You can tell by their expressions, by the way they're, they're moving with the music, even if they're enjoying it. And sometimes if a song doesn't sound great live that doesn't mean it doesn't sound great in the studio so and also vice versa if we record a brilliant song in the studio or we feel is brilliant sometimes it doesn't quite sound the same live because it's more difficult to sing if it's faster obviously and stuff like that so and I suppose often the song, you know, you you own it and you probably love it, and maybe it doesn't translate always to the audience, and that can be can be hard, but also great learning in that if you can gauge it when you're when you're playing it live. Do you enjoy the gigs, the live gigs, Rory? Oh, definitely. They're so much fun. Uh, it's always such a buzz to uh, to play live in front of like a nice cloud. Uh, the likes of Electric Picnic and all them. That's they're just they're just great fun to have as well, and we can't wait for the clears either at the weekend next weekend. So. And that's a gorgeous venue as well. So different to Electric Picnic, which is big and bold and Clears is so intimate. It's a fabulous venue, isn't it? It is completely, yeah. We're really looking forward to Clears because it's the first gig since Electric Picnic, actually, that we're really putting together the best songs off our album to form live. And listen, I want to ask you as well, because the two ladies who are not here, but are a fabulous um, addition, obviously, and a very central uh, part of the band as well, Sive and Shifra, the fact that they're away, they're each studying in, in Dublin. Are they both in Dublin there? They're both in Dublin. So Crazy. does that make rehearsing tricky? It does, yeah. I mean, it's only the weekend we can do work, really. Um, see, they can't get the train home and miss their important lectures. Shifra's doing medicine, which is... Seems crazy to me. How are you meant to be a musician and a doctor? Well, the but fact that she can do that, I think your dad might be the <laughs> the test case for that yeah. one. <laughs> Tried and tested. But I mean, it is a lot, certainly. And the commitment that she has shown as well um, is, is, as you all have, like it's it's a lot. Do you get into any trouble with the teachers for coming in with tired looking heads on you? Ah, well, 
you know Reece like, Dawson these days he's in TY oh you're in TY you're <laughs> like, this is a good year for flexing those musical muscles isn't it yeah definitely uh, definitely the year to get lots of work done and plenty of practice and everything you can do plenty of playing the, the bass year to do. that's all he does plenty of oil play the bass I don't know what that is oh playing the bass the bass guitar oh yeah 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 okay well that's allowed that's, that's, that's actually your, that's your profession and speaking of what is the plan gentlemen for after school because you were doing the Leaving Cert this year aren't you now mm, I think Rory told me he was going to be a doctor as long with Shifra and <laughs> I'm only joking <laughs> I'm only joking um, I'm not sure um, so what about afterwards boys are we going to stay with the music for the rest of our, our careers or are we going to do something else first God I'd love to stay, stay with the music as long as it doesn't make me bro I had a careers meeting um, in school last week and they were asking me is, is music actually a career or is it just a hobby and <laughs> It was a question that I couldn't even answer. So of course it's I'm a career. I'm still thinking about it. Of course it's a career. Yeah. Of course. And what about you, Rory? Oh, uh, you know, as we said, I'm only in TY. I actually have no idea well, at year. all. But um, so yeah, the music goes anyway at first and then... Yeah, well, that's not a bad way to do it. Although I don't know, do, do mom and dad agree with that? But I think as long as you're happy and enjoying yourselves and you're working and you're creating, isn't that an amazing thing? And actually one thing that I think has changed about life is your route can change very quickly and you can do something else. You don't have to decide what you're going to do and stick with it forever. It doesn't work like that, which is amazing. What a pleasure to chat with you and I cannot wait. I'm going to be in clears and I can't wait to come and see you. It is always an absolute pleasure and I highly recommend the listeners to come along. If you've never heard Burn Church live, you're in for an absolute treat. We're going to play out the show this evening with feeling. And do you want to say anything about that actually before I let you go? Feeling. This is the one of one of many songs that's going to be on our album and that we're going to perform 29th of October in Clears. I think it's your vocal, isn't it, Anna? It's my vocal that you hear and I can't wait for you to hear the harmonies as well. Try to pick out the pipes and fiddles, flutes if you can and it's also a pop song, so enjoy. Well, the pipes are fab. Speaking of harmonies, actually, one more question before I let you go. <laughs> I'll keep thinking of these little questions, but how do you create those harmonies? Because your voices complement each other absolutely beautifully, but that's no accident. I'm sure a lot of thought and effort goes into that. So who's the harmony king or queen in the group? Harmony, or is there one? Harmony king or queen? I'm not sure. I usually do the production um, side of the music. And that's kind of involves the writing of the harmonies and putting together that kind of stuff. And also in the studio, we have no limitation to layering and stuff. So if I feel like I want to hear Sai's vocal four times singing a different harmony, I can do that. So... And is Sive okay with this? Can you you can magic your, your way into anything once you've got their voices? You can do what you want with exactly, it. Exactly, yeah. Rory, what, how do you feel about this? Oh, don't mind at all. <laughs> you let him off. Yeah, you can do whatever he wants. You you don't just mind. Make, uh, just make great music and yeah. Just make it sound good. That sounds great. By the way, is there a boss of the band? It's definitely Rory. Yeah. Is that true, Rory? He bosses me around the whole time. Yeah, no doubt. He's always telling me to practice my piano. (laughs) Okay, well, I don't think you need any practice. Rory and Aina, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you in the studio. We can't wait for the gig. Uh, Remind us one last time when it's on. It's in Clears on the 29th of October, and there's a few tickets left. A few tickets left. And we can get them them. on Clears website, right? Clears website. And I think there's a link if you want to follow Burn Church on Instagram or subscribe to the channel. With thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland, this is The Art Show on KCLR with Inanee Valdenig.
And you're very welcome back. A couple of weeks ago, we profiled sculptor Robert Dunn. This evening, we hear more from him as a little while ago, he and I caught up for a lovely chat about sculpture generally, his own practice and influences on his work. Robert, you're very welcome to studio. I wanted to ask or to start rather by asking you, how did you get interested in making art? Um, to be honest, I when I finished school, uh, secondary school, um, I had planned on going that route of being a blacksmith, um, but then um, I couldn't get anyone to take me on. It was kind of the 80s in Ireland and North Kenny, I suppose, was it, 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 things were a little bit tougher and it was a little bit more inward looking, I think. Um, so I emigrated at that stage. I went to America and I don't know, I suppose at that stage, I think things opened up for me. Uh, I think things were a little bit closed in Ireland. And I suppose the, the 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 opportunity rose, and I got a scholarship to actually do a year of um, college over there. I, I, initially, I went over just to work, but then I got in, interested in art. I was always good at art in school. Um, so yeah, and then I came back here and finished off my degree in NCID. I had enrolled in, I had been painting, but the, the work started to take on a more three-dimensional um, aspect and I was looking at kind of installation. Um, so I, I think it kind of happened naturally. I, I don't think there is a, a definition or a define, it's not defined right now in terms of, you know, painting, sculpture. I think it's just, you know, fine art, which is probably the, the right way to go. Um, so you moved between the different disciplines. I did. But yes. I, I have to, I have to rewind for a second. So to be an artist, that's quite an unusual choice. To be a blacksmith is even more unusual again. So mm. can we go back to what inspired you to attempt to go down that road? Yeah, well, I, I was always, I suppose, the, the, my family is, it's very much kind of hands-on trade and that kind of thing. Um, and when I went to, to secondary school, I had a, a kind of a gifted metalwork teacher and, um, I kind of, I suppose I did well at forging and metalwork in general. So I suppose that's what led me onto that, um, that avenue. Um, so it was always going to be, I suppose, something, you know, I was always going to be working with materials in some way. But you hadn't sort of unleashed the creative side of yourself when that was your... I don't think so, really. Um, yeah, you know, I, 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 I did art in school, obviously, but it was metalwork, I suppose. But I think it was... Met, probably metwork because it was more hands-on and uh, even today it, my work is about materiality and really looking at materials and how materials work together um, and the subtleties and yeah, I suppose what those materials bring you know they, they, are, they all have inherent meanings and we, we, we bring associations to, to the materials um, so I, I think even back then I think those things were sort of playing out So considering your interest in metalwork and that type of thing. I guess your evolution as a sculptor was quite natural then. It was. Like, I mean, as I say, I, I, my degree was in painting, but um, I, I continued painting for a little while after college because just because, it, you know, uh, it was difficult to get to find space to actually do sculpture. Um, so I was kind of messing around, I suppose, for a while. You know, there was kind of a lot of stop starts and then I, I stopped completely. We built a house and I just wanted something to put in the house. And that's that's when I started just making things. And that's when I posted them on kind of social media and got some a bit of attention that way. 
it must have been really good to grab the attention of, of people the way that it did. When you were doing your house, did you do any of the practical construction bits or was it all aesthetically wonderful additions that you were adding to the build? Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, obviously that informed my practice as it is now because, you know, a lot of it is, is based in our made environment and I would have worked a lot on the house in terms of building and plastering and, you know, so it was a really hands-on kind of experience and I suppose it's one of those things, it happens quite naturally and it's only later that you start to analyse and you start to think, right, well, that's really what that has come from. And I, I think that's, it's probably, you know, a valuable lesson for me and for artists in general. You know, sometimes you're you're better off not to question or analyse things too much. You know, I think they, things happen for a reason. And, you know, like if, if I was in a situation back then where I was thinking, you know, I have to fit into this kind of art, this has to be art or this has to be whatever, um, I think it would have, you know, hampered the progress, you know, because I was just making things for, for me, it was just for the house. There wasn't really, I, there was no preconceptions. There was no kind of, um, you know, no targets. It was just, I was, I was just dealing with aesthetics, I suppose. Um, and I think that's really, that, that allowed me that freedom to, to, to make things happen. And to become who you became. But yep. when you were doing the housey bits, I assume that often the aesthetic isn't the first thing you're thinking about because it's a practical limitations and all of that. That must have been hard for you, who's clearly got an eye for mm. the, the pretty or the beautiful in terms yeah. of, of, of of making something. Yeah, it's funny because even now, I remember uh, uh, in Palace Studios up in Dublin, um, the, the curator there talked to me about, he, he thought it was interesting how as the idea is developing that I'm also thinking about how it's going to be hung or how it's going to be displayed. So for me, I think the two go hand in hand. You know, I'm thinking about aesthetics, but I'm also thinking about the practicality of how I'm going to make it. And I think because the, the way my practice is, um, because I'm making molds or casts, I, I have to think in reverse. Do you know what I mean? Because whatever you whatever you make, you know, that's got to be a negative of, of, of the cast. So from that point of view, you know, the process for me is 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 very important. What I'm making is is I suppose it's like a vessel um, that I that I pour the the plaster in. So when I'm visualising it, I have to think in negatives. Um, is there any particular piece of sculpture or any sculpture from the past who inspired you particularly, or who inspires you, whose work you think stands out as being amazing? Um, I suppose there was a period of time where I was really looking at the work of Louise Bourgeois. I, I just thought that work was, you know, it was very raw, um, and I liked, I suppose, the dialogue that was going on. She was, it, it was very much about material as well. And it, it, I suppose there weren't kind of typical art materials. She was, she was doing a lot of sewing. Um, she was working with metals, obviously. Um, but it wasn't, you know, what we associate with bronze and things, or things like that. It was kind of like cast off bits of metal and welding and that kind of thing. And how does the sewing come into that? Um, I suppose what attracted me to the sewing part of it was just the materiality of it and the colour she was using. Um, and there, there was a kind of a rawness to it, I suppose. Um, you, you know, they weren't perfectly sewn, but there was a kind of, I found a beauty in that, that that, that kind of rawness. And you, you, you could picture her, you know, struggling with... She actually made kind of heads, a lot of heads out of out of material out of her old her old clothes, um, and they weren't perfect by any means. But there was there was a real kind of beauty and a rawness to that, and I suppose that's why I you know appreciate them and gravitate to them. Um, 
and it's something that I would incorporate into my own work. I'd always leave the kind of the remnants of the process there. Um, I, I think in a way it kind of tells the story of the making and that's important to me. Um, even in college, I would have looked a lot at um, artists like William de Kooning, whose work is all about um, process and making marks and rubbing them off and, you know, seeing the residue of that whole, the whole history of that particular painting um, and the physicality of actually working, working uh, through those ideas and, you know, the struggle, I suppose, in, in a way. When you look at a piece of work, Robert, does it tell you a story? I think I think it does. Like I mean, if you're looking at someone, the, the, I suppose the artist I I, I would kind of gravitate to. The, 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 they're always telling a story. Um, um, if you look back at some of the better known pieces of sculpture back from the 1400s, if you look at David, for example, which is maybe the best known piece of sculpture in the world, we've all heard of it. Mm-hmm. What made that so great? You know, the the marble one, the Mi- Michelangelo. Yes, Michelangelo's. Um, I suppose it was it was really the pinnacle of where the Renaissance was at that time in terms of its development, um, in terms of looking at anatomy. Um, you know, a lot of the, the, the work that came before that, you could see the anatomy, they, they, they were struggling with anatomy. They were really trying to pick up where the, the Greeks and Romans left off. Um, so, you know, Michelangelo, I suppose, with that particular piece, he, he really surpassed where where it had been a thousand years beforehand and where artists of the Renaissance were kind of, you know, working towards. Do you mean um, in terms of the accuracy of it? Or the how- accuracy, the anatomy. Um, and I mean, that piece isn't just about anatomy, I suppose. It's it's about the kind of subtleties. There's a lot of subtleties in it being played out. Um, and obviously, it's the symbolism is there as well for the Florentines to be kind of vigilant. I think that's that's the, the kind of the, the, what he was referencing there. Florence at that time was getting very powerful and wealthy, but they, they hadn't invested a whole lot of money in their, their kind of military. So a lot of the neighbouring towns and, and cities were, you know, looking at it kind of enviously. So I, I think that was, it was a kind of a warning, you know, to, to be vigilant. But if you look at a piece like that as well, I think it also celebrates masculinity and youth and beauty. And if you come back to the rawness that you now admire in a piece of work, have we sort of flipped in terms of what we appreciate, do you think? Mm. That's an interesting question, yeah. Um, I, I, I think... In a way, there's a, there's more honesty in what we're doing now. Like uh, you know, we, years ago, I think we there, there was a kind of a set there was set rules there and set materials, whereas now everything is opened up and you, you know you can make an art out of anything. Really, um, it's all about having your idea and and being honest with it. And uh, uh, that goes back to what I was saying there about um, advice to younger artists. You know, to really look within yourself and what your interests are and where you've come from, um, all of those kinds of things. I think if you, if you leave, if you leave that little bit of space, I think those things will come to the fore and that, that's really where your voice will come from. That leads me to another question that I always like to pose and I think it's really interesting because a lot of our appreciation of art comes from within. It's not the piece of sculpture or the painting we're looking at, but it's our interpretation of that. So to that end, Robert, is there such a thing as a rubbish piece of art? And you as a teacher, you're well placed to answer this question, I'm going to suggest. Um, yeah, I don't think so, to be honest with you. No, I mean, I, I think there are, art is so broad now, there are definitely kind of niches, I suppose. Um, you know, like, uh, I can't think of his name now, there's one artist in America uh, who makes kind of like, 
very kind of industrialized. He and he he farms out all the work. The work is made by by he he's got a factory kind of going uh, of people making his work. Um, so personally, I wouldn't respond to that work that well. William um, Coon, Jeff Coons is the is the the artist's name. Sorry, um, so I wouldn't respond to that work that well. Um, just because you know it, it doesn't have that personal touch that I. I suppose that, that I'm interested in, but at the same time, I think it's a, it's a, you know it says something about our time and our place and all the rest of it. Um, so I, I suppose yeah, to get back to it, yeah, there's, there's just so much going on right now, and and I think there's so much there for arts to to for public to appreciate, and it's so broad, um, you know, and you're going to find your own kind of you know where you're the artist that you're interested in so I don't I don't really think there is um, rub, any rubbish art as such even in my, with, me, with my own practice uh, if work doesn't work out initially it's something that I come back to and it's something that will be learned and, and, and even take taking into consideration the the new kind of syllabus of, of uh, art education um, it's embracing you know I suppose mistakes and process you know like when when I started teaching it was about it was about kind of creating perfect work and you know nobody's going to kind of learn if work is not you know if you if you don't embrace a process or embrace mistakes um so I think in in the big picture you know I I think it's it's very broad and there's a lot there to to be appreciated and there's a lot of little pockets of 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 kind of disciplines where, where people can, um, you know, find things that are of interest to them. And do you think the rule book is being thrown out more and more and do you welcome that if it is happening? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's it has to be broader because it has to reflect our lives. It's not as kind of, um, you know, uh, tunnel vision, I suppose, as it, as it used to be. Um, and I, I suppose that, that, that kind of, that's a reflection of uh, different kinds of people, cultures, everything is, you know, you know, we, we're familiar with, with, with a lot of cultures from different parts of the world. So all of that stuff is kind of playing and it's, it's getting mixed up with what's, what's here. And all of those ideas are, are, are you know, um, I, I think it's a really kind of an interesting period. Probably hard to answer this question, but... That's a terrible intro to a question, isn't it? I'm going to ask you a terribly hard question. But in terms of time to produce a piece, could you put a number on that? It varies quite a bit. Um, like there was one piece of work which I suppose it took me six months to make. Um, and then that piece went on to be exhibited in Kilkenny, actually, for, uh, in the arts office. And I refabricated it because it was actually shown during COVID. And originally it was intended on being on uh, kind of a floor piece. So it was going to be situated on the wall. But because it was COVID and it, we couldn't actually have people going into the gallery, um, I presented it and people, it was going to be viewed from, from the road. Um, I presented it on stilts. So that whole piece had to be re reevaluated and reworked. Um, but that was an interesting process. But to get back to the question, yeah, so like that piece, I suppose initially it took six months and it could have taken another three or four months after that. But then, you know, some pieces just kind of fall together and you can be lucky. Um, you know, I've had pieces that 
kind of came together maybe a month. That that would be unusual. But I do find that the more pared down a work is and the more refined it is, the longer it seems to take. Like, you know, when I get a bit of time for the studio, I'm kind of thinking, OK, I'm going to get this done or that done. But I find then that, you know, I get, get a little bit done and then I'm kind of pondering on what piece of wood to use. There's a lot of that kind of thing that goes on in my practice where, you know, you think you have the thing worked out, but it's actually when you actually get down on uh, on the ground and actually start making, you know, that it throws up lots of kind of small questions, small, minute kind of variables that, you know, just take time to, 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 to sit down with and uh, really work through. So would there be a lot of pre-planning involved where you're actually working with paper and you're in your head a little bit trying to get things right before ever you start the physical creation? Yeah, well, like, I suppose... Because I'm I'm working full time as well. I, I, part of my practice involves, um, you know, I think it's a really good idea to, to to continue working in a sketchbook. So a lot of the work is kind of you know kicked around in the sketchbook initially, and generally speaking, I wouldn't tear into a piece of work straight away. I kind of leave it ruminate for maybe six months or even a year Um, because sometimes I find that, you know, you think you have a great idea, but then you look at it next morning or a week later and, you you know, it's kind of rubbish. So it does take that little bit of time for things to settle and to see where where things are going. But yeah, so it starts off in the sketchbook. Then I would actually make scales scaled models of it um, and I find that it's, that's really helpful for the to make to make molds because obviously I'm thinking negatives all the time because you know I'm making casts and what I'm showing is is actually you know the, the, the mold of that um, yeah so it's really helpful do you ever fall out of love with the piece? If it's taking you, see, the six months that you mentioned, can you decide, oh, you know what, I'm out of this gig. This is not working out for yeah, me. Yeah, that happens a bit, actually. Um, I, I, I think it's good to have the, to, to try to live with the work for a while because, I don't know, a lot of times what happens is, you know, you kind of bring everything in your life to, to, to what you're doing. I do anyway, um, to, to what you're doing in the studio. And you might pass an object or pass some sort of um, you know a situation or a piece of furniture that might resolve the piece so I'd like to have the pieces working even if they're not kind of working out initially um, just to have them laying around you know and it's generally speaking they kind of it does work itself out Okay Well Robert listen it's been an absolute pleasure we look forward to seeing a little bit more of your work remind us where we can look at your stuff your website is My website is robertdunn.net Instagram which is probably a little bit you know more up to date um, and that will obviously have you know things like things I'm working on drawings um, th- those kinds of things um, that's uh, Robert Dunn Art Super Thanks a million for coming in this evening You're very welcome back to the Art Show with me Una Neville Danig Now I promised you a little piece of music to finish out the show today so I don't have time to go through all the very very many things that I picked out that are happening around Kilkenny and Carlow this weekend but check out the visual check out the Watergate check out the Butler Gallery there is so much going on and you don't want to miss out on the crack A few things I do want to mention there's a one act drama festival on this weekend Friday to Sunday 7pm in Unadara in Gores Bridge that's hosted by Kilkenny company players. The Barrow um, Valley Art Group are celebrating their 50th anniversary. Happy birthday to you. And they've got a special exhibition at Carlo College. It's being officially opened by Olivia O'Leary this Friday at 8pm. That event will cost €5 Euro and proceeds go to Carlo Hospice, which is a great cause. Cats Theatre Group are hosting a Gaulish 
ghostly gathering in Clears this Thursday at 7pm. There'll be poems and stories and all sorts of scary party pieces and staying with Clears. We already mentioned that Burn Church are playing there this Sunday night, the 29th. And here is our new song. I promised you this. So, Vintanavos, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks to Kilkenny County Council Arts Office and Creative Ireland. This is The Art Show on KCLR.